when I was in the military, I had to learn how to show respect and honor to those who were ranked more highly than I was. Uh, when I would come across an officer out of doors, I was to salute. Uh, I was to call people sir. And I learned these things quickly. You, you learn that in basic training that if you don't do that, uh, things will not go well for you. Uh, but uh, I also learned how to uh, honor and respect my parents through their discipline and through uh, the love that they showed me when I was growing up. But we need to learn to honor our holy God. To honor is to treat something as weighty, as important, uh, to give the uh, value uh, to the Lord that he is worthy of having in our hearts and lives. Um, And the scripture that we're going to look at today uh, talks about a failure to do this. And at different points in Israel's history, God gave a glimpse of his holiness to his people. And usually that glimpse was accompanied by the, the breaking out of the Lord against someone uh, for violating that holiness. Uh, I think of Nadab and Abihu uh, in the early days in the wilderness as the Israelites were going through the wilderness. Uh, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord and were struck dead. Fire came out from the tabernacle and struck them dead. Uh, the, the story we're looking at today is the story of Uzzah or Uzzah. And I'm not going to say Uzzah the whole time, uh, Uzzah. And so, uh, we, you know, you have, you have um, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament at the time of the establishment of the church, right? Uh, so throughout history, God at certain times has given just a glimpse of his holiness. What is it for God to be holy? The, the word holy means to be set apart, uh, to be distinct from. Uh, We're called to be holy, to be distinct from this world, right? But God is holy in a way that we could never be holy because he is infinite and uh, unlimited in who he is. Uh, And holiness describes the fact that God is distinct from us in every facet of his being. Uh, For example, uh, you could talk about uh, someone loving someone else, right? But God's love is on a whole different plane. It's on a whole other level. It is holy. It is set apart. Uh, And so uh, this idea of God being set apart was especially evident in the tabernacle and in the temple in the Old Testament. And uh, we, we understand some of the greatness of who God is, the awesomeness, the splendor, the majesty of who he is in these pages of the Old Testament, uh, as we see how the Israelites were to interact with one who is holy. Uh, It was pretty remarkable in in the Old Testament when God came to dwell among a people. That had never happened in history. Uh, And God gave Moses directions, uh, these elaborate directions, on how to prepare for his coming. Uh, And once all these things were prepared, the tabernacle was built, the glory of God came and dwelt among his people. But there were veils there that separated the people 
from God. There was the veil of the courtyard. There was the veil of the holy place and the veil over the holy of holies that showed that though God was there, there was still a separation that God was holy and that he was to be treated in a different way and approached in a certain way that was distinct from any other uh, person or individual in the world. So you fast forward to the time of David and uh, the ark and the, the temple worship, the tabernacle worship, has been neglected. Uh, under Saul, they were not seeking the Lord as they should. And so they desire to seek the Lord in this chapter. That's a noble desire, uh, an honorable desire. You came here tonight because you wanted to seek the Lord. I, I believe that in my heart, that you're here to, to try to draw near to the Lord and learn about Him. Uh, so this is their desire, and so they decide that they're going to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim uh, to Jerusalem. And so David consults with the people. He says, hey, what do you all think about this? How about we bring the ark to Jerusalem? Now that we're in Jerusalem, I'm reigning from Jerusalem, let's bring the ark to Jerusalem. And so he gathered uh, thousands and thousands of people from all over the region, from from the border of Egypt all the way up to where uh, Syria was, uh, gathered all these Jews together to celebrate this momentous occasion of bringing the ark to Jerusalem. So uh, one person that he says, if it's pleasing to God, but it seems like he just kind of omits really asking God about how to do this. And so he's got a noble intention, but... Uh, they begin and they take the ark and they're celebrating and they're singing and they're dancing and they're excited and uh, there are shouts of joy and all of this great celebration. But they didn't transport the ark the way that God had told them to do it. Um, they were not honoring the holiness of God. What did God tell them? Well, God told them, the ark was to be carried by four priests who were to carry upon their shoulders with the rods that were provided this ark of the covenant. Also, they were not to touch it. Numbers specifically tells them, do not touch the ark or you will die. Why? Because it represented the presence of God among his people. They were to take, uh, when they were preparing, a certain group of Levites were to prepare uh, the, the ark for transport, and they would put that veil of the Holy of Holies over the Ark of the Covenant. They would also put uh, a, uh, a skin upon it, uh, which represents the sacrifice, the, the blood of Jesus yet to come, that made it uh, okay to transport such a holy object. And then they were to put another thing over, another garment as well over it. So it was to be covered, it was to be out of sight, it was not to be touched. Why? Because God is holy and we're sinners. And because God's holy and we're sinners, it's inherently dangerous to be in the presence of God if you don't know Jesus Christ. And so in those days, since the new covenant had not yet come in, and though they were still saved through the blood of Christ on credit, uh, the, the situation was different. Uh, so there was a danger to them as they transported the ark. And so they, they put the ark on a new cart, the same way the Philistines had transported it. Uh, and 
they bring the ark to Jerusalem, and they've got a fellow named Uzzah and his brothers, or uh, some translator like that, and say Ohio. Uh, so I, I, it's not the state, but it's uh, Uzzah's brother, if if you ta- if you translate it that way. Uh, and so they're they're leading this cart along, and Uzzah notices the ox stumbles, and you doesn't think he just reaches out and grabs it with his hand to steady the ark so it doesn't slip, and God strikes him dead. In one moment, it turns from celebration and joy and excitement to mourning and sadness, shock, and in David's case, anger. God has shocked them by showing them Once again, it's dangerous to be in the presence of a holy God if you don't know Jesus Christ. Um, So, uh, David says, okay, how can I bring the ark of God to Jerusalem? He's scared to death. Uh, And so, he he says, hey, how about you take it, okay? Uh, And and he brings it to the house of Obed-Edom. And they disperse, and that first attempt of bringing the ark to Jerusalem fails. Uh, And God begins to just bless the household of Obed-Edom because his presence is there. So, a very colorful story, uh, but there's some important things we learn about God uh, in this this situation. And though we're under a different situation in in the New Testament, and we... Uh, because we're covered by the blood of Jesus and we have been declared righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus, justified, um, we can come to God's presence boldly. But we still need to understand who God is in His holiness. Because the fact that God is holy uh, means that He doesn't act the way we act. He doesn't think the way we think. And we need to be... um, circumspect in the way that we live our lives. So even though we're not to to live in terror of God and we're to be boldly entering into his presence through the blood of Jesus, uh, as God's people, we do need to recognize that God is still holy. He's still a consuming fire. He's still just, and he is still the judge of the whole earth. Um, You have, I've mentioned Ananias and Sapphira as an example, uh, but uh, you also have uh, the case in, in Thessalonica where God says, look, uh, you commit sin uh, of adultery and uh, the Lord is the avenger in these cases. Uh, Abraham said, shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? And so God will not treat you ultimately as your sins deserve if you know Christ. Praise God. The sin's under the blood and your eternal destination is secure. But God will act as the judge of the whole earth, to do what is right when he sees the need to act. And so understanding God's holiness helps us to uh, honor him in the way that we should and to live our lives wisely in light of that. So we need to honor our holy God. Look with me at verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 13. Uh, David consulted with all his leaders, the commanders of hundreds and thousands, Then he said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if this is from the Lord our God, 
let us spread out and send the message to the rest of our relatives in all the districts of Israel, uh, including the priests and Levites in their cities with pasture lands, and that they should gather together with us. Then let us bring back the ark of our God, for we did not inquire of him in Saul's day. Since the proposal seemed right to all the people, the whole assembly agreed to do it. Proof that you can vote and be out of the will of God. Just a, just a comment. Anyway, uh, verse 5. So David assembled all Israel and from Shihor of Egypt to the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Baalah, that is, to Kiriath-Jerim that belongs to Judah, to take from there the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim. At Abinadab's house, they set the ark of God on a new cart. Uzzah and Ahio were also uh, guiding the, the cart. David and all Israel were dancing with all their might before God with songs and with lyres, harps, and tambourines, and cymbals, and trumpets. Uh, when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to hold the ark because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had reached out to the ark. So he died there in the presence of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named the place Outburst Against Uzzah as it is still named today. David feared God that day and said, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? So David did not bring the ark of God home to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom and Gath. The ark of God remained with Obed-Edom's family in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his family and all that he had. So honoring a holy God, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to recognize that he is too mighty to contain. He is too mighty to contain. The word God uh, that occurs in our English translation many times is in Hebrew the word Elohim. Uh, the word El it means God as well, but it is in the singular. Elohim is in the plural. Uh, and it shows not only that God is three persons in one God, but it also shows that as far as power is concerned, because the word El means the powerful one, the mighty one, that power is multiplied. God's power is unlimited. He is too mighty to contain. Uh, I learned when I was in the military, when you're in the presence of great power, you need to be careful. We had these uh, units that we were learning about, and they, the professor told us, he said, look, he said, when you grab this, this uh, cord, you need to ground it out before you touch it. Because if you don't, the residual charge in that cord will knock you across the room. It'd be very dangerous. And so we learned, you, you ground it, you put it to the metal, you ground it out uh, before you deal with it. Uh, another trainer was telling me, I was out working on something we called a hydraulic mule. Uh, it's something you hook to an airplane to circulate hydraulic fluid. It had these big pumps in it. And he said, when you check this thing out, you make sure, if you do anything, that you put this in the test position. I said, well, why is that? He said, because if you put it in the aircraft position, it will explode and kill you. In the presence of great power, you need to have great respect, right? God is too mighty to contain. He is too powerful. He is too awesome uh, to contain. 
We don't put God in a box. By the way, did you know God doesn't live in a box called the Ark of the Covenant? He is too, too mighty, too glorious to contain. Uh, the universe itself cannot contain him. He says, do not I fill the heavens and the earth. You can't contain him. You can't put him in a box. You can't take him where you want him to go. He is mighty, and he is holy, and he is set apart. And they found out this great power. You see, they've been neglecting the word of God. They've been neglecting seeking the Lord, and they were biblically illiterate. They'd forgotten how to respond to God. Praise God, we know, and as God's people here today, that we can come when we, we sin against God, we can confess our sin. He's faithful and just to give us our sins and to restore our fellowship. We know that uh, we can rely upon the blood of Jesus to enter God's presence boldly. And we also know that God will discipline us. And, and so um, uh, I can't control God. God controls, uh, controls not just me, but he controls the universe, right? He's in charge. So uh, he is too mighty to contain. And that word Elohim occurs again, 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 again in this chapter. Uh, it is highly, highly emphasized. Uh, if you look in verse 2, right next to it is the word Lord. Uh, it's the word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Uh, whenever you see those all caps, that is the proper name of God, Yahweh. And the reason it's written that way is because the Jews were afraid of taking God's name in vain. Uh, so instead of saying Yahweh or Jehovah, which was the name of God, they would take the vowels of, um, of, the, uh, of the word uh, Adonai and they would plug it in and they'd, or they would just say Adonai. They would say Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is Adonai. And so uh, that way they didn't take God's name in vain, but people knew who they were talking about. Uh, so uh, not necessary for us to do that. But that is what they did. And in tradition, when it was translated into English, this practice remains. Uh, but that's the word Yahweh, the word Jehovah. Yahweh is the great I Am. So uh, honoring a holy God, how do we do it? We, we need to recognize that he's too mighty to contain, but he's also too sovereign to control. He's too sovereign to control. He is the great I Am. Pharaoh tried to control him, right? He said, uh, he said no, these people are not leaving Egypt. I kind of like having slaves build me stuff. Uh, they're not leaving Egypt, and I don't know your God, and I don't, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. God said, think again. You can't control me. And God sent plagues against the people of Egypt and against Pharaoh. And he sent plagues that, sh that showed his dominance over their gods. I don't have time to get into that. But, I mean, he showed who's in control. Well, everybody in the land of Egypt knew that Yahweh was in control when it was all said and done. Pharaoh uh, was scared to death as he held the body of his firstborn son. And all the Egyptians said, send them out or, or, or all of us are dead. We can't stand before Israel's God. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He's too sovereign to control. It's interesting if you look, and you've got this idea. What do, what do they do? They decide uh, as a group, right? That's the Baptist thing to do, right? We take a vote. They decide as a group, this is what we're going to do. 
uh, then uh, they've got this smaller committee, right? That's also a Baptist thing to do. They've got Uzzah and Ahio, or you, if, if, if you translate it, his brothers, it's, it's Uzzah and several others. Uh, and so uh, they've got this little group that is doing things. They've decided how they're going to do this. Uh, they've got it all figured out. There's just one thing. They're trying to control God, and they haven't asked God about it. And so all the plans go awry because you can't control a sovereign God. And David ultimately realizes what he has done, and he goes, and later on Chronicles talks about this, he goes and he, he seeks the word of God and what God has to say about transporting the ark, and they do it the right way, and it happens, it goes smoothly without incident, uh, but they have learned God is too sovereign to control. You can't manipulate God or control God. He is sovereign. Sometimes I see a TV preacher uh, say something like, well, you, uh, God's not going to give it to you unless you just uh, claim it. You tell him what you're going to do and what's going to happen, and he has to do it. No, he does not. He is God, and we are not. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Now, if he gives you a promise, if he assures you by his Holy Spirit of what he's going to do, then absolutely believe him. But no one coerces God. No one has God under their foot. He reigns above all. He is too sovereign to control. So he's too mighty to contain. So we need to honor him as holy. He's too sovereign to control. So we need to honor him as holy. He's also too great not to bow. Look at verse 6. David and all Israel went to Baalah, that is Kiriath-Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to take from there the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord who is enthroned above the cherubim. Now, it's interesting that that it's phrased in this way. What is his name? His name is the Lord, Yahweh, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And that's what the ark gave a picture of, right? On the mercy seat, you had two seraphim, right? Or cherubim. Uh, and, and these were these angelic beings that we are told in Ezekiel and we're told in Isaiah are in the very presence of God. And they they are filled with respect and honor for the Lord. They bow their heads and they cover their eyes with their wings and they cover their feet with their wings and with two they fly and they say day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These seraphim, cherubim, um, Isaiah describes them, and uh, one of them speaks. And when this, this mighty angel speaks, the ground and the temple starts shaking. Now, that's power. But before the mighty, the almighty God of the universe, they bow their heads in submission and cover their face in humility because the one who is greater than they are is standing before them. He is Yahweh, who reigns above the cherubim. He is too great not to bow. 
Listen, I want to tell you, the, the idea that we can, can make God do what we want him to do. I, I, I know I just mentioned that. It's one of my pet peeves. Listen, God, does God love us? Absolutely, he loves us. Does God want to do good things for us? Absolutely, he does. He loves us. He, we're, we're the apple of his eye, the Bible says. But we can't make him do it. He is so great, so high and lifted up in his majesty that the proper response of humility is to bow before him. You know, um, we, we talk about the eminence of God, that he is near to us and that he is close to us and that he loves us and he communes with us. But there's also the transcendence of God and both things are important. The transcendence of God shows his holiness and his majesty and how he is so great and both things need to be involved in our worship. We need to have the familiarity with God that, that eminence, the fact that he is close to us and that the way has been opened, the veil has been ripped at Calvary, hallelujah. Uh, Jesus paid the price and opened the way so that sinful people like me can go into the presence of a holy God and worship him for who he is with familiarity and confidence and boldness. But we also need to remember the transcendence of God. Because he is God and we're not. He is great. He is high. He is lifted up. And the proper response is humility and to bow. Listen, there's sometimes, some scriptures that, that I've come to that I've just been overwhelmed by the greatness of who God is. In my quiet time, I'll get down on my knees and I'll put my face on the carpet. Now we've got carpeted floors, but you used to be in the dirt, right? <laughs> you put your face on the ground. Why? Because he is so great. He's too great not to bow. By the way, I don't want some wishy-washy, wimpy God who can't do anything for me. I love the fact that God is who he is. That he's great and he's powerful and he's mighty. So he is too Great not to bow. So uh, how do you honor a holy God? Uh, we need to recognize he's too mighty to contain. He's too sovereign to control. He's too great not to bow. He's too wise not to follow. Look at verse 7. At Abinadab's house, uh, they set the ark of God on a new cart. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. What's wrong with this picture? They are guiding Yahweh instead of Yahweh guiding them. There's something wrong with that picture. Nobody's consulted him. They have set out their own path expecting God to bless it. How, how often do we do that? We run ahead of God, right? That's when we get into trouble. Uh, what did Israel do in the, in the wilderness years? They did not set out until the Shekinah glory cloud lifted. God set the agenda. It was God's choice of when to move and when to stay still. And when the Shekinah glory cloud would once again descend, 
upon the tabernacle, the people would stop and they'd, they'd set up camp and they would stay there. As long as the Shekinah glory cloud stayed there, they were there. Read the book of Numbers and it's, it's several places in the book of Numbers. And every time God was the initiator of these movements, here God is not consulted. Um, it's as though, uh, you know, it's like they're saying, okay, uh, you can just throw God in the back of your pickup truck and take him down the road. No, you can't. Okay? So, uh, he is too wise not to follow. Our posture is to follow him, not him to follow us. He sets the agenda because of who he is. And so, uh, he is too wise not to follow. The Bible says he's unlimited in wisdom. He's holy in his wisdom. He's perfect. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We tend to not think like God. That's important to know. Because when you make decisions, you need to consult the Word of God. Right? Uh, find out what God has to say about the decision that you want to make. And go to God in prayer to determine His guidance and, and His purpose. All right. So, um, honoring a holy God... How do we do that? Well, we need to recognize that he's too mighty to contain, too sovereign to control, too great not to bow, too wise not to follow, and too dangerous to disrespect. Too dangerous to disrespect. In verses 9 and 10, it says, When they came to Cain's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to hold the ark because the oxen had stumbled. Some people say, well, Uzzah was just doing a practical thing. Yes, it was a practical thing. But do you think God needed Uzzah to stabilize the ark? No. And God had specifically told them not to. God had told them if they touched the ark, they'd die. So the, verse 10 says, then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had reached out to the ark. So he died there. In the presence of God. This idea of God being dangerous is not in popular Christianity today. You don't hear about it anywhere. Um, but it is a reality. God is dangerous. Now, if you know Jesus Christ, praise God, you have confidence, you have boldness to enter his presence. By the way, that's what the book of Hebrews is about. Um, there's all this information about uh, God's holiness and why we need to serve him and why we need to follow him and how great he is. And in the middle of the book is the way that God enables sinful people to interact with the Holy God. And it's all about Jesus and the work he did at the cross. Uh, great, great stuff. Um, but Jesus bore the wrath of God. He, he bore my experience at the cross. He took the eternal wrath that I would have experienced in a place called hell, which is also something that doesn't get talked about much today. Jesus took it all upon himself. He satisfied the justice of a just and holy God. 
and he made the way open. That's why when Jesus said, it is finished, or as you could also translate it, paid in full. That's why when he shouted that at the cross, the temple veil ripped. Now, I'm told that, you, I believe it was six teams of horses it would take to pull that veil apart. It was very thick. Um, it was ripped in two from top to bottom. There's only one person who could have done that, and that's the Lord. God ripped the veil to show the way was opened uh, and that we could now have fellowship openly with him. Uh, why can we have the experience of God's presence and come to him with the familiarity of a little toddler leaping in his, his father's lap? Or his, uh, it's because of what Jesus did. There would be no familiarity with God in that way without the cross. Even those who, like David who had familiarity with God in prayer in the Old Testament, it was only made possible through the cross and through the giftedness of the Holy Spirit put upon them for a certain task. David was a king. You had prophets, priests, kings who were anointed by God for a specific purpose. The majority of the people didn't have that. Uh, so they draw near, and it's still through the cross of Christ. There is no coming near to God without Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way. There's no other uh, sufficient sacrifice that would satisfy the demands of a holy God. So for those who are lost, God becomes dangerous. And this, this ought to motivate us in evangelism. Those people that are around us who are lost, uh, those loved ones, those family members um, and, and friends that we know, uh, even those we don't know, uh, they stand in danger. Yes, God loves them. I know John 3.16 is true. God loves them. But they're also in danger because God is holy. And at any moment, God's grace could come to an end for them. So you ought to give us a sense of urgency in our prayers for lost people. Uh, how does holiness, and in terms of the danger of God, apply to people who know Christ? Uh, well, the New Testament mentions, uh, Hebrews 12 is one of the places it's mentioned. Uh, it says that our God is a consuming fire. Uh, so it would apply in this way, and I, again, I think it's applying mainly to lost people, but these are lost people who, like we talked about this morning, who believe they're saved people, okay? And he's talking to them in Hebrews, and he's saying, look, you need to understand God's, God has deadlines, and you're hearing the priest's word, and you're refusing to repent, and you need to understand that God has not changed. He is still the consuming fire, uh, the God of the Old Testament. The only thing that has changed is Jesus coming. And so uh, it is a motivation for people to examine themselves to see if they be of the faith. It's a motivation of those who were lost or tempted to abandon the faith um, <clears throat> as people who I believe were never genuinely saved in the first place. But they're tempted to abandon the, the, the faith uh, to recognize there's a mighty, holy God to reckon with. And so it was used to motivate them in that way. Um, it also, I think, reminds us 
that God, as the judge of the whole earth, can choose if we're out of line to put us into line quickly. So we recognize God is uh, dangerous in the sense that uh, at any moment he could choose to act with justice. Now, I don't believe that means we go around like, you know, trembling with fear. Uh, what if I mess up today and is God going to strike me dead? There were times I, I felt that way in my Christian walk, and I don't believe that that's what God intends us, uh, how God intends us to think about him. Uh, I believe we need to, to recognize that we're accepted in Christ, that we're covered by the blood of Jesus. But what holiness does is it reminds us, if I go off the deep end in sin, you remember what David did? Here, here you, have a, you have a godly man. God said he was a man after God's own heart. But he just kind of went off the deep end for a little while in his life. And he went down a path of sin. He, uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, tried to make it look like her husband Uriah had slept with her so people would think it was his child. And when Uriah had more character than he did and wouldn't go sleep with his wife while the troops were out in the battlefield, uh, David sends a message to the front lines with Uriah and says uh, to Joab, put him in the front lines. Uh, one soldier dies just like any other. Uh, don't, don't let yourself uh, think about it or be grieved by it. And Joab listens and puts Uriah in the front, and, and Uriah is killed. short time later, David takes Bathsheba into his house. He marries her, um, and uh, you know the story from there. But what does it say that God did? God sends Nathan the prophet, and of course David has been away from God. He's been rebelling against God for this season of time in his life. And Nathan goes and tells him the story about the, the man with all the sheep flocks who, who steals the little lamb of the poor man. He only has one little lamb. And, and Nathan says, you're the man. You have stolen uh, Uriah's wife. And uh, David says, I've sinned, he, re he repents. But God says, the baby that is going to be born to you will die because of your sin. The judge of the whole earth. What, was David not, not saved at that point? Absolutely he was saved. But God knew what it was going to take to keep David in line, and he gave him a consequence. David fasts and prays and tries to get God to change his mind, but the baby dies. Uh, and he finally realizes that, and he goes his way, and of course, God in his grace, Bathsheba's son Solomon ends up being David's heir. Uh, God redeems and restores, but God, as the judge of the whole earth, did right. I think about Judah. You remember Judah in the Old Testament? We, we just went through Genesis. Judah deceives his father into thinking that his son, Joseph, has been murdered. They bring him the bloody garment, the, the coat of many colors that Joseph had worn. See if this is your son's cloak. And of course, Jacob is just crushed with grief. And his mourning won't be comforted by his family. Judah can't take it, so Judah leaves, marries a Canaanite lady. They have three sons. Ur and Onan are wicked. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but God puts them to death. Put, wait, that sounds familiar. What did Judah do to Jacob? 
Judah lied to his father and told him his son was dead. Incredibly callous thing to do. Now Judah experiences the loss of two sons. The judge of the whole earth does right. So I say all that. Now, now we don't live by performance, okay? So here, here we go to the new covenant, okay? We don't live by performance, but we do live with the perspective that the judge of the whole earth does right. And it ought to cause us, if we're thinking about a nefarious path in our mind, to think, hmm, maybe I don't want to do that. Because God's the judge, and God might hold me accountable for that. And uh, so I look at this. I think fear is kind of the outward border. We're not to operate in fear, I don't believe, uh, other than just having a general fear of God in the sense that we recognize who he is and that he disciplines us. I think we're genuinely to live with a sense of freedom and with a joy and with an access to God's presence uh, and to, to be familiar with the Lord in terms of talking to him and rejoicing in him and, and uh, bringing our burdens to him. Uh, but when we get, we kind of go off the reservation, so to speak, and we're away from God, that fear of him as the judge of all the earth should cause us to think twice about what we're going to do. So I think that's how uh, we can apply this in the New Testament. It also helps us recognize his great power. There's nothing that he can't do. We can put our trust in him because he's able. Uh, there's no prayer he can't answer. There's no situation so far gone that he can't restore it and redeem it. Uh, he is uh, so great in his power that when we think all avenues of hope are gone, he is able, he is still. Listen, ask Lazarus, right? Three days in the grave. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Lazarus, come forth. In one command, Jesus changes the whole situation. I could get started on another sermon if I went there, so I'm going I'm to limit myself. But uh, this is the holy God that we serve. He is mighty. He is holy. He is awesome. He's dangerous. But he's dangerous because he's good. Some people will look at this, a scripture like this and they'll say, you know what, why would God be so capricious and uh, such a tyrant that he would kill somebody for touching a, a piece of furniture. Have you ever heard anything like that? Listen, God is not a tyrant, but he is holy. He doesn't take an opinion poll on what we think about how we ought to treat him. Uh, he, he is not worried about the opinions of atheists. He is holy, and his standard remains the same. But he's also good. And what you see is, uh, though this is a tragic situation, it wakes the people up, of Israel up to, to who he is yet again. And they're able to approach him in the right way. And they're able to have his blessing and his favor and, and his goodness of, for the land as a whole. Uh, and this is a very great blessing indeed. Uh, the discipline of God for his people always has the intent of helping us share in Christ's holiness and the blessed, abundant life that he desires for us. God is not trying to get at us and, and be vindictive. God loves us. Uh, he is for us. Um, but if you go off the reservation, remember that he is who he says he is, okay? All right. So that's the holiness of God. So what should you take away from this? If you know Christ, 
you serve an awesome God. Uh, you ought to, to revel in the fact that there's nothing our God can't do. Uh, the one that put all the stars in space is able. If you don't know Christ, you need to repent and trust him while you have the opportunity. Uh, God will not take an opinion poll at the judgment. He won't say, do you think what I'm saying is fair? You know, uh, he, won't, he won't do that. He'll judge in perfect justice, and his judgment will be final. And so if you have rejected the only provision that he has made for sinners to go into heaven, there'll be no other uh, recourse but for God to send you to the place called hell. Uh, and uh, that's a sobering thought, but it's true. So, you know, if you don't know Christ, make that decision before it's too late. Uh, Christian, pray for those who are lost around you and share the gospel with them while you have the opportunity to do so. Um, one more, th- I'm going to tell you one more thing. I'd, I, uh, years ago, I uh, was fishing. Uh, I, I went to uh, Brandon's Bass Shop in Texas, and I felt the Holy Spirit of God prompt my heart to share uh, with the man who was selling the uh, the minnows. And I quenched the spirit. I told God, no, I, I'm, I'm on my, I know, you're a preacher, you're supposed to, I know, I know, I know. But I told God, I said, no, it's my, it's my uh, day off. I, want, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to go fish. I want to go have quiet. I've, I've been dealing with stuff all week, and I just want to rest. I quenched the Spirit of God. I disobeyed God. I went and I fished. I can't remember a whole lot about that fishing trip, but I do remember what I was told the next morning. As uh, I went to my Sunday school class, one of the other guys in the class who would go and fish sometimes said, hey, did you hear what happened to the guy at Brandon's Bass Shop? And uh, I said, no. He said, you know the guy that sells the minnows? I said, said, yeah, I know who you're talking about. He said, uh, yesterday when he got off of work, he went home and shot his girlfriend and shot himself. I have no more opportunity to share the gospel with that man. So if the Spirit prompts your heart, make sure you share. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the fact that you show us who you are so that we can relate properly to you. Help us honor you for the great and awesome God that you are. Help us live holy lives, Lord, and in measure, even though we'll never be uh, as holy as you in terms of, of your exalted, infinite character and nature.